this is Special K. This is Cosmo. And welcome to the real table. All right, we want to thank everyone for joining our show this evening. And we have a special guest, actually our very first guest. And this, and who do we have here? Hi everybody, this is Sadie Hopkins. I'm 19 and a film student at the University of the Arts. Thank you for joining us, Sadie. Thank you very much. Yeah, now, no problem. Now, before I get into our, uh, you know, in-depth and personal interview, um, why did you choose to be on the show today? Well, because you asked me to, <laughs> and I felt like this could be a good experience for the future. So just to make sure, for the audience's awareness, you were not bribed, and you were not coerced or forced in any way to join the show. No. Again, well, we again. Again, I, I, again, we go back to the question. You were not forced, bribed, or um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you were not tricked into being on the show, were you? Not to my what, knowledge. What did you tell her about the show? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh. What kind of, did you tell her what kind of show we're running here? <laughs> she will soon see. <laughs> all right, Sadie. So first of all, for um, just for the audience, Sadie is a writer, and she's currently a student. Uh, she's a screenwriter on the rise. She is honing her craft in the most specialist of times in a writer's life, college. All right. Again, thank you again for joining us, Sadie. So let me start off. Why are you a writer? I am a writer because I like to tell stories, and characters interest me. And... The visual aspects of screenwriting is different from like poetry or novel writing. So when you write it into a script form, it can be translated to a visual aspect that you can't usually get with novel writing. And it's more, you can reach more people and you have a grander audience and it makes more money. <laughs> Just think about it. Well, what about uh, like graphic novels or like comics? Oh, you see, I never really got into comics. Plus, I can't draw, so that's like. But just so the audience knows, Sadie does have hands. She just can't draw that well. I just had to make sure everyone knew that she has hands. Well, I mean, there's still writers that can write for that kind of stuff. I mean, like, you know, the artists. So like, the artists and the writer works together. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, and uh, I mean, you know, I think it takes a certain personality for every single kind of like writing field you go into. Whether it's poetry or screenwriting or novel writing or manual writing, you write manuals for electronics or anything of that matter. It takes a writer to do it, but uh, it takes a certain personality. Like, I say for a graphic novel, it might take a more obscure mind or like a more, I don't know, like hyperactive imagination maybe. Because, cause, you know, they, they get to illustrate whatever they're thinking at that moment, like whatever they want to draw. But I feel like for a screenwriter, they are limited in a way. Like they're limited because, you know, say, you, do you, when, let me ask you this real quick. When you're writing in general, when you're thinking of a screenplay to write, do you think of like what it would look like on a production, like on a set, or like when people, say if someone decides to make it? Yes and no. Usually I think about the character more than anything else and how they would react in that situation. And then like once you get like the first draft done, then it's how the camera would look and how the audience would view it and that kind of stuff. Definitely. Because, you know, and at that, when it comes to that, you have to just think, is this doable? Is, is this, like, feasible in a non-novel setting, like, to actually execute? 
do you guys see what I'm saying? You know, you get think about like a huge production set. Do I even have the money to make this? You know, because whenever I pursue a project, I just I think of that too. Like, you know, I want to make anything I write. So I, I kind of like limit myself from like writing these crazy like super violent stories. You know, I love Sin City, but I can't make Sin City because I don't have money for that. You know, but uh, I mean, it's definitely a good uh, mindset to have, Sadie, because you know. You have to think about the characters first. The ca whether it's a character or a plot-driven story, you have to, you know, you have to always have that in mind. You can't just be thinking of, oh, is this going to sell money? It's should I make a Transformers Five? <laughs> <laughs> which, no one should be thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, audience, we will not be mentioning Transformers Four except for right now for the rest of the podcast, even though the commercial hit um, TV the other night on the Super Bowl. Anyways. Um, Thank you, Sadie, for that response. Question number two. If you could punch any screenwriter in the face, who would it be? <laughs> and why? Just the first name that comes to your mind. <laughs> what kind of question is this? Look, anyone who has anyone who has the balls or the sorry, the nerve to write the like to write words. Deserves to be punched in the face because someone's gonna hate them. I'm pretty sure the people so what who if hate. Someone them. hates Sadie. Then I'll then we'll protect her. She's she's our guest. But someone might want to punch her in the face. Then I'll punch them. I'll punch them back in the face. Exactly. She'll punch them back with words. Why is this getting so violent? <laughs> Come on, Sadie. I we need. I can't really answer. think of a screenwriter to be honest. Okay, that's fine. Um, well, what's a what's a film that you just hated the dialogue and the writing in? We recently watched um, Double Indemnity. I actually liked that movie. I did not like that movie. Why did you and not like the movie? It's from the 40s. Why would you not yeah. like it? It was just cheesy, and you never really got the character's motivation. The, the main guy, like, why he wanted to pursue this girl and kill her, uh, her husband. Well, but, but didn't the setting kind of, like, provide that for you? You know, he's, like, this, you know, this hard-edged... But he was—he's not he a cop. Um, he's, he's an insurance, life insurance, yeah. life insurance guy, and uh, you know he—I uh, feel like at that time, or the stereotype that goes along with that is, you know, like they're smoking every single chance they get, of course, and everyone, smoking. Oh yeah, they, they smoke at every single moment in that movie, and they—you uh, know—they cheat on all their wives. No, like anyone who's married doesn't end up married for long, or they end up dead. It was just the way that he fell in love with her. Like he met her like one time, and he was like, "I can't stop thinking about her." Creepy. And it just like the next day they were like, "I love you." <laughs> like it felt really sloppy. Oh, I would agree. And it's considered like one of the best films of all time. I mean, it's film noir, so I'm a sucker for German expressionism. But as screenwriting goes, I didn't think it was very strong. I could see that because the uh, the character development wasn't really there. If you mm -hmm. think about it, like it would just kind of jumped. He wasn't necessarily, you know, fully fleshed out, and his reasons weren't. They don't have to be like told through dialogue, but they weren't really seen through like the actions of the characters or the plot. Yeah, you always show, don't tell. Exactly. Number one rule. Andy, I don't know if you've learned that yet, but that is the number one rule and when it comes to screenwriting: show, don't tell. Well, that's not just that's film. <laughs> that's life. It's like if you see a sheep on the screen, I think this is the example I learned. Is like if you see from some reading I read somewhere in my early film classes, it's like if you see a sheep on the film, you don't say, "Look, there are sheep." <laughs> you don't see them, <laughs> so you don't write it. 
So we'll put that down for the record. If, <laughs> if there's a sheep on the film, do not mention the word sheep. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, Sadie. If you could write a movie about any one dictator in history, who would it be and why? <laughs> These questions. Parting people, dictators. Look, look, this is how you get to the real essence of a writer. <laughs> I don't know about that. historical dictator? Sure. How about the dictatorship of technology? That shit? That would be interesting. Um... Sadie, can you please explain on why you would want to write a movie about the dictatorship of technology? Because it's current and people would be interested in it. Wait, so by technology, you mean if it's current, if you say write it right now, then it's not going to be current five minutes from now. Because that's the thing with technology, yeah, it's always changing. Technology is always changing, mm -hmm. if you think about it. That's the difference between, say, technology, I mean, obviously two different industries, but technology and film. You know, The Godfather is obviously always going to be The Godfather. You can't change it. It's the movie's made, you know, it's done. You know, but as for technology, say, like this, the um, the equipment that we're using to record this podcast could be... Obsolete in like five years. Exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, like lighting and sound stuff is actually more like, it's going to stick around longer than like a camera. A camera is changing way faster than... Oh, camera definitely. I mean, the, the sensors on it are shrinking by, yeah. like, by the year, pretty much. As for, I mean, when it comes to sound, I mean, mics, like, those will last a good while. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to, say, like, recorders, like, the recorder that we're recording on now has been significantly reduced in price over the past right. two years. Yeah. I mean, it's still a great recorder, great, great quality, but... Um, it just came out recently, too, didn't it? Yeah, in the past two years, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like lights, like they last forever if you take good care of yeah. them. Lights and lenses. Yeah. Take. But I mean, for this recorder too, I'm like, we're not gonna need another recorder for a really long time. Mm -hmm. This guy is, is doing the job really well. It is. And we just hope that the audience knows that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry, Sadie. You would like to write a movie about the dictatorship of technology. And so you and maybe. so. Or maybe. Um, our need for immediacy, like needing things like right now. Wait, There's can I a tweet whole this? Amazon thing. Need, wait, let me text. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> let me get this microphone out. <laughs> excuse yeah, me. Exactly. It's like, excuse me. I'm listening Amazon to. Amazon thing where you can, um, oh, yeah, if you yeah, live yeah. in the distribution center range, you can get stuff like within 30 minutes. Oh, the drone. Yeah. It flies. Mm. I mean, you know, if you think about it, um, I think immediacy has a, or the need for. Don't Sorry. touch me, man. <laughs> Don't touch me there. The, uh, the need for immediacy has increased, I think, definitely in the past, what, 25 years, 30 years? Ever since the internet has become mainstream, I feel like. We can blame Al Gore, by the way. Well, I can be, I can be all monk-like for a second. and be like, technology is a double-edged sword. You can do good with it, or you can do bad with it. So it's like, there's immediacy... Which is kind of stupid that we're like, you know, talking about what we're doing every second of the day. But at the same time, we're all aware of what's like something. Something happens like like the the Middle East, you know, like the protests that happen. It's like boom, all these people know what's going on. They can like connect to one another. They can like protest. They can like like really like build like a community. They can get involved. Like boom, like te technology has allowed that. But at the same time, it's like everyone knows what kind of ice cream I like. It's like that is not important. <laughs> exactly, and you know, we are the gatekeepers of our own. Like information at that point, you know, we decide what we put out there. And, you know, 
And I think at that point, when you decide what is quality content for people to be like listening to or exposed to, then I think then you can be graded on your own merit at that point. Say, you know, Sadie, if you post like an article from BuzzFeed or something about the 30 cutest dogs, first of all, you're I'm a fan of yours if you do that. But, uh, but you know, at puppy that, bowl. Puppy, of course, you know, <laughs> you know, like if people post content like that, you know, every once in a while, you know, something that's new. But if I post comments about or sorry, articles or whatever post about or tweets about puppies 24 seven, I'm going to look like I'm crazy. <laughs> Spam. Ex- exactly. People are going to be see, oh, that's the puppy guy. Maybe <laughs> see him in public. Say if you run into them down the road at an airport or wherever, if you're back in your hometown or something. You're gonna say, oh yeah, you post things about puppies all the time, and I'm like, I, what? Okay, it's well, it's like building like a brand and like an identity kind of thing. Exactly. Like, I don't want to be known as the puppy brand. <laughs> I'm better than that. Well, if you're posting about puppies all the time, then maybe you should be the puppy guy. <laughs> I agree. It's a, it's a good idea, Sadie. You should write. You should get into that. It could be the next. Have you seen Metropolis? Yeah. Yes. yes. The original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. German expressionism at its finest. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sadie, my last interview question for you. Are you ready? I guess. All right. <laughs> She's like, no, I don't okay. like the questions. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, I might have to explain a little bit of the question. All right. If you could Frankenstein from already well-known characters for a script, what qualities would they have and from whom? Does that, does that make sense? Okay, could, could I transcribe these from the internet? Um, all right, so Frankenstein here is obviously used as a verb. All right, I want you to create a well-known character. I want you to create a character. All right, they're just off the top of your head. All right, and, then, like, and I want them to possess qualities from characters you already have. Or sorry, sorry, possess qualities from characters that you already know and like, or even hate for that matter. Because, you know, a character has to be balanced out. They have to have flaws and um, attributes, if you will. So, quick, just, just, just like, just like, just spill out of your mouth. <laughs> just like qualities of it, different characters that well, I think would be good as one character. Exactly. Like you are, you again, you're Frankensteining it. Like Terminator Two strength and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, oh, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. You know, um, you know. Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio's, who plays Jordan Belfort. I still haven't seen that yet. Well, it, it's fine, but, but but he is a greedy asshole. You know, he's a complete Spoiler douchebag. Spoiler alert, come on. Sorry. Sorry, guys. I mean, he is the Wolf of Wall Street. I yes. <laughs> you know, like, maybe you want your character to be flawed with greed. Or maybe you want that to be his attribute is greed, and his flaw is, like, he loved, he's actually compassionate. He could be a villain. It sounds like a homework assignment. But, but, but you know, yeah. But I think I think as a as a writer, you know, you always have that dream character you want to create a story around. Or do you? <laughs> Ma- maybe I want you to answer my own <laughs> questions about me. <laughs> yes. Is that what this whole night has been about? Kyle wants to punch some screenwriter in the face. Kyle wants to write about some dictator. Sorry, special K. Special K. Special K does what he wants. Da <laughs> da. <laughs> Maybe the selfishness of Iron Man or um, Tony Stark. Okay. Before his character arc. She didn't listen to episode one, did she? She did not. <laughs> really? 
Is that, it's okay. talk about <laughs> Iron Man, yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Iron Man was one of the positive notes. Yeah. Well, and the, and the third one. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Well, Sadie, okay, let me help you out real quick. Yeah. What, what kind of characters interest you? Like, are they anti-heroes, or are they villains, or heroes? Well, everyone likes an anti-hero. Yeah. Well, well now they the do. Rage right now. <laughs> they are. It's so what, hot. What, what's the most recent popular anti-hero? I would say Walter White. Yeah. Walter White from Breaking Bad. And Dexter. Dexter? Dexter? Dexter, even though it ended uh, quite badly. I know. I haven't <laughs> seen the ending yet. Yeah, he turns I'm into he there. turns into a dinosaur. Really? <laughs> he turns into That's not so bad. He gets tiny little arms like T Rex. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have little hands and a big head. Dexter, <laughs> <laughs> wait no. Rexter. Rexter, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new it's a new form of prehistoric uh, communication. <laughs> so Walter White, you know, he's an anti-hero. He possessed qualities of obviously compassion for his, the better or the wellness of his family, but he also possessed so, a, an so urge to be like rebellious and and I feel like he liked, you know, being involved in something illegal. And but he also, you know, but, oh, I can do something legal, but as long as I'm providing a means, uh, as a means to live for my family and a quality of living, then it's okay. I think he, that's what he used to justify it. I would argue with you so much about Throw it down. <laughs> throw, throw it down. Let her, let her do her thing. I want to get into Walter White bullshit. <laughs> as as is, uh, can be implied or assumed, Cosmo is not a fan of Walter White. <laughs> Cosmo thinks Walter White is a quote-unquote asshole. <laughs> he is. Yeah, he's just another white guy. <laughs> the power trip. Well, actually, he's just, never mind. Well, speaking of Breaking Bad, what if it was um, the innocence of, um, what's his name from The Graduate? Dustin Hoffman. Wait, Dustin Hoffman wasn't in it, right? Yeah, it's Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, his character. Dustin Hoffman ben. was in yeah. No. Well, yeah, he wasn't. Oh, oh, ben, I, thought, right? I thought you were saying he was in Breaking Bad. No, no, no. I'm like, well, what? Aaron Paul's character, because um, they both have, like, this type of innocence. You think Aaron Paul's innocent? Well, no, but, like, oh. this type of, like, because they have, like, um, Aaron Paul's character and um, Brian Cranston's character, it's like a father-son relationship. Right. So, in that sense, that's, like, that type of innocence. Oh, okay. So, that matched with the character arc of... Ben's character in The Graduate, I think that would be interesting. Now, now Ben's Ben's innocence is a, uh, it's it's not necessarily a parallel to Aaron Paul's innocence, but no. but which is good actually. It's a different kind of innocence in the sense that he's a little naive in the sense that oh hey I can just travel to it was Berkeley right? Mm-hmm. I can travel to Berkeley and just win this girl over. I can just follow her around school for the next couple of days and yeah. <laughs> break up her wedding, and you know not to spoil anything, but the ending will get you. It'll, and um, but that's interesting. So, so your character possesses different qualities of innocence. Yeah. And do you see innocence as a flaw or an attribute? Probably both. A flaw can be. Well, a flaw is part of a person, and you can't really overcome a flaw. You just become aware of it. Aware of it. Bam. That's words spoken from a true writer. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you think you can overcome it? Ever? Isn't I don't that, think so. Isn't, isn't that like anti-change? Not so. really. 
I mean, wait, you think about it. Like, you know, when you have a flaw, say, you know, say if you're bad at math or something, you can get better at math, but you right. can't conquer math. Like, you will never, like... You'll never be like, yeah, you'll never be like a physicist or whatever. You won't like. be a calculator. Yeah. You yeah. know? That's true, that's true. But, I mean, you know, like, flaws are definitely necessary, I feel like, because you... That's true, yeah. Be aware of them, but at the same time, like, practice to get better with Exactly. And I feel like, you know, just, you know, obviously in regular, everyday life, people see flaws as a means to, uh, like, they want to overcome it and never see it again. They feel like, oh, I must overcome this. Think of addiction in that way. Again, like the recent um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who, sorry, the recently deceased Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. He, um, you know, he was an addict. He's a heroin addict. He was a drug addict for quite some time. I had no idea. Did you, did you guys have, did you, Sadie? Is that what the autopsy said? Well, I'm talking, I'm talking, I mean, while he was alive, did you guys know he was yeah. a drug? I mean, I didn't either. I didn't either. But um, I think I saw, I've seen a few, read a few interviews and saw a few quotes that, you know, he's been an addict for quite some time. And wow. yes, that is a flaw of his, but, you know, he actually made a quote to, or a comment to Aaron Sorkin a while back when they were in rehab, not, not rehab, but it was like some, you know, NA group or something like that. And he said, um, you know, if, when, if I ever die of an overdose, then I'm going to save 10 people's lives. Because if, if you think of like a famous person, like say, Whitney, um, like say Whitney Houston who died of drug overdose, or even Heath Ledger, you know, like people who are so infatuated and, you know, they admire these figures, they don't want to end up like them in the same sense. As much as they admire them and want to idolize them, they don't want to end up like them. So, I mean, it, it's... Like statistically speaking, you never know. But I, I, I think it's a good mantra to go by. You think about it, it's you know like the, the mighty have to fall in order for the others to rise. I just got profound. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> yeah, that and heroin bad news bears. Don't <laughs> ever touch that shit. And, and that was that was the other funny thing. People said he died of an overdose of heroin. Yeah, he took too much, but you're saying if he took the right amount, that would have been okay? <laughs> there is no right amount of yeah. heroin to take. <laughs> that, <laughs> you, uh, that's going to mess you up, son. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And on that note, we'll head into our uh, commercial break right now. Um, we'll come back for the Real Table Rant and the Real Table Random Read. Oh, I forgot about the rant. Oh, the rant, Fun yes. stuff. Yes. All right, thank you for listening to the Read. <laughs> we want to thank you guys again for joining us as um it has been such a glorious ride so far with our guest sadie may hopkins Woo. screenwriter on the rise Woo. and uh, she specializes in danger uh all right so here comes our next segment that we're introducing to the show as the show is relatively new we are uh we're working very hard in the brainstorming room that we have here at our studio and and <laughs> we are, um, there's a, we, we've decided to come up with a real table rant, which is we choose one topic from the week or from the preceding weeks that's kind of hot in Hollywood or just the film industry, maybe life in general, if it, if it uh, pertains to film. And we rant about it. Here we go. All right. Quick little backstory that we referred to back in our last podcast, the first one, the first cast. 
Quentin Tarantino's script leaked a few weeks ago. All right, it leaked. Um, like he released the name of it called The Hateful Eight, and you know it was like it's supposed to be his western epic, and he had already had a small group of actors chosen for it. It was leaked. He's very pissed, and he sued this web. He's trying to sue this website over having his script available. One, so one of our members got a copy of that script and read it. <laughs> well, well, let's just say for the record that we had a conversation about this after we did the podcast, and our, our view kind of like did like a 360 or a 180. So, and that, and yeah, now now you actually have had the script. I didn't say I had the script. I said one of our members has. You the had script. the script. It's you. <laughs> you no one, no one knows. Anyways, so I read this. Someone read the script. <laughs> someone read the script of the Hateful Eight, and you read the whole thing. Yeah. Oh wow! I read all 146 wow. pages. It, it was the first draft because he put it on the shelf. Um, but the rant that I have about it is: this movie needs to be made. <laughs> Not because it's going to change cinema forever. Not because it's going to like be it's not it's not the Citizen Kane of our generation, but it's a great movie. Tarantino, and obviously it's the first draft. There need to be some work on the dialogue, of course. But it's Tarantino's dialogue, and the way that he writes exposition is just it's it's great. Like he just it's he kind of combines like a shooting script and a regular uh, written script, and what he does he describes like I guess they Can shoot. You do that, Sadie? Can you do a shooting script and a reading script? For first draft, I'm pretty sure Ernest Hemingway said that the first draft of anything is shit. <laughs> yeah. So, that man as a first, even if it's uh, Tarantino, it's a first draft, so it'll probably be better. <laughs> oh, exactly. That's why I think this movie needs to be made, and I think that's saying a lot just based on the first draft. If you think about it, I mean, the story development, it, I didn't see it predictable, and, and I did not really start trying to predict the ending, because you're like, what's going on? I, you can just... Because you know what how Tarantino's style is, and so if you get one of his scripts before one of his films are made, you're like you're just thinking how he's going to do it. You know how is he going to out Tarantino Tarantino, and he's just like building up and building up like this character development, and then it's not until I believe there's five chapters, maybe six. It's not until like the very last chapter that you get a feel for what's about to go down at the very end, and you can just picture like obviously there's a shootout. There's a shootout. It's a big last scene in every almost every single Tarantino movie and you can just feel the bullets rip roaring through everyone <laughs> and it's a western there's bullets everywhere and so yes that, that that's my my quick rant but I'm opening up that up to Cosmo and Sadie Mae I was curious you know if you guys say like in this situation if you were Tarantino what would you do like if you got all this feedback saying people love the script what would well, can, you do? Can it be made? Hey, I mean, it's Tarantino. He's said, "Oh, I'm not gonna do so it." He's still just bitching, and moaning. Whoa, 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 whoa! Do not speak. <laughs> do not. Do not speak ill. Do not speak he's ill. He's complaining that it was leaked, and now he's not going to make. Well, it. I mean, wouldn't you feel the same way if someone stole your script? I mean, we'll your, your script that you worked hard for. You've been wanting to do a I would western. Go ahead with it. If everyone now knows about it, then it's like, all right, let me make it. But how would you make it? Because people already have, like, say, the first draft. They get a, a feeling a, 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 of the synopsis of the movie, like, of the whole plot. Like, well, like who yeah, are the people so that are reading this? Yeah, it's a first draft. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, do you think he's probably gonna keep like the same kind of like, you know, the same theme? Obviously, it's a western. Like, he's gonna keep the same kind of like themes throughout. You know, like like the main character is like this. 
he sounds like he's an anti-hero. You know, like he has to do bad in order to do good. So, I mean, do you think that, like, how much of that do you think he could possibly change? From a first draft to a shooting script? Yeah. A lot, probably. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, you know, it's a, again, it's a first draft. So, there's a lot to be done. But I thought it was, like, way more than his first draft. No, it was his first draft. I think draft. he's blowing it, blowing it way out of proportion if this is their first draft. But, I mean, he, he's one of the big, um, what do you call it? Like, I'm not going to say profit. That's, that's, a, that, that, that's, that's I get. Putting a, like a well, no, like, no, no, no. I, I said, I am not saying he's a prophet. <laughs> I am ranting about that. Shoot. Um. I mean, I, I'm taking a class on independent film, and, and Tarantino was brought up in, in one of the readings. And one of the things that was mentioned was that, yeah, Reservoir Dogs was pretty amazing and, like, promoted it. Basically, he didn't promote Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir Dogs promoted him. And that led him to where he is now and able to like produce what he's producing now. Well, and so, I mean, I guess just like for our audience, elaborate a little bit on how Reservoir Dogs promoted him. Um, it won, it won a lot of stuff at festivals. It was it was winning all kinds of festivals. And it was like, ah, oh, this film is amazing. This film, who is this guy? You know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the praise of the film was bringing him along. And then it was because it was bringing him along that he became this, this figure that we now know today. Right, so now we just expect that same sort of style and... Right. Yeah, and not all directors make mistakes. amazing films yeah. every single time. Like, they go up and down. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that this gentleman does. Because <laughs> he, you know, I mean, this is kind of like a... Uh, you know, there's, there's two sides of the fence here of filmmakers that I really adore. I love Tarantino and I love Woody Allen. Woody Allen makes a movie every year. Tarantino makes one whenever the hell he wants. And but because his whole mantra is life is too short to live from movie to movie. So you know he takes a break you know, every now and I th- takes a break in between films. Like Pulp Fiction came out in '93, I believe, right? '93 and it and it won um, best screenplay at '94 Academy Awards. If I'm not mistaken. Reservoir Dogs came out in '91, right? Yeah, '91, and then. I believe True Romance came out in 92. Sorry, he wrote for True Romance. He wrote True Romance. But, um, and then I believe Jackie Robinson came out in 90. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Okay. <laughs> Jackie Brown came out in like 97. You know, so he took his time between these. You know, obviously, you know, he's a young filmmaker. He's getting, you know, he's getting going yeah, on he there. Was, uh, he, didn't, he was self-taught. He learned in the video store. He did. He, and that's why I kind of idolize him a lot. You know, again, I don't think my film education was put to waste. But you know he went. He everyone he, tells you you're wasting your time when you're in films. Everyone does. <laughs> everyone. Like, you're does. an idiot. What are you doing? But it's like, eh, you like what you do, so good. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if I would have pursued my initial major of a business major, I wouldn't have. <laughs> a I, business major. I wouldn't. Exactly. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> bombs everywhere. Bombs on bombs, and you know, it's. I don't. I would not have kept that same interest in film. Like being like exposed to all these different aspects of film, whether it was screenwriting or theory or history or production, I never would have like garnered that interest that I do now. And, you know, and now I'm I'm like I feel like I'm like a filmmaker on coke, cocaine. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Energetic. You know, get that energy going into, into what you do or what you like to do. As long as it's not heroin. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> all right. That'll cut it for our uh, real table rant. For this session of the podcast. And now we'll go on to our last segment. 
the real table random read. All right. So just to just to uh, refresh all of our audience real quick, our real table random read is a script that is brought to us without us having seen it yet. No, no part of it all. Well, I can see the back of it. Well, Andy can see the back. Sorry, Cosmo can see the back of it. It's plain white. It's plain white. <laughs> With the staple in the top, top right. Yes. And um, see, in this script, we know for sure it is not in Braille, and it is in, it's legible. Well, what does two bumps mean? Two bumps. I, I can feel two bumps on the table. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but um, we have to thank our intern, Princess Meeg, for, who is now raising her hands in the air. Um, we have to thank Princess Meeg and our, our intern for the evening, and maybe for a while. She's temporary, but um, she's also a part-time assassin, so she has like a... You know, she has a few gigs every now and then. I'm pretty busy. Do you watch Arrow? Or? I've never seen it's Arrow. It's so cheesy, but it's... I watched the first episode and I couldn't get past it. Uh, I couldn't do it. Uh, it's really cheesy, but it's yeah. so good. <laughs> it's like uber cheese, but like it's good cheese. It's good cheese. It's the good cheese. It's the good cheese. So as we begin the Real Table Random Read, um, from what I've been informed, it is five and a half pages and three characters, I believe. All right. So, and the narrator will be myself. Okay, I'll be the narrator. Sadie May will be one of the characters. Um, <laughs> well, see, sorry, I, I'm going to be the. Well, if you're narrating, you can tell us which what two characters. Okay. Since I'm the narrator, uh, there was a voice in the beginning. I'll be the voice, and I'll do all the exposition, and then Sadie May, you can either be Rick or Chuck. All right, you're Chuck, and Cosmo, you can be Rick. I'm big Rick. <laughs> Give me a good old accent going on right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All right, let's begin the real table random read. All right. The title of the script is The Bomb, bomb. and it's written by Mr. Matt Layden. Wherever you are, Matt, <laughs> thank you. We are reading your scripts on the real the old table. table. We hope it is not shit. <laughs> And, okay, uh, here we go. Interior, office, building, day. Get out of the goddamn building, now! Men and women, dressed in suits and dresses, run towards the exit sign. Rick, a tall, slender man with a mustache, walks over to Chuck, a bald man with more muscle. Chuck is bending over a small device in front of a window. Rick passes by computers and fax machines before kneeling next to Chuck. How long you think we have? Less than two minutes. Rick inspects the device. So what do we have here? Chuck glares at Nick. Class 4, high alert. If we don't get this thing disarmed, this entire floor is gone. Chuck gets up and paces around the office. Is everyone off this floor? Yes. They're heading down the staircase as we speak. I hope it's enough time. Chuck grabs a small toolkit and places it on the floor. He opens it and reveals pliers, cutters, tape, gum, and wipes. Chuck takes out the cutters. Rick takes the plastic shell off of the device and sees three wires. One is green, one is red, and the other is yellow. Three wires. Green, red, yellow. Doesn't look like any lead to the car. Are you going to strip it? No time. Rick looks back at Chuck. You're not stripping the wire? Chuck looks up to Rick. No, I said there is no time. Well, how the hell are you going to cut which wire to cut? I don't. You can't go on faith. Well, Rick, you're in luck. I'm not going on faith. I'm just, I'm going face dumb. 
My ability to disarm a fucking bomb. Is that what you said to Fred? Chuck stops what he is doing immediately. What the hell did you just say? Listen, if you want to throw out the stripping of the wires, then I'm out of here. Hold it right there. You don't leave a fellow officer behind. That's good, coming from you. What the hell is your problem? My problem is you think you're a fucking hot shot and it gets people killed. I've been in the bomb defusing profession since before you were sucking your mother's tits. You watch your goddamn mouth and get the hell out of my way. I'm cutting the red wire. The hell you are. Chuck charges towards the bomb, but Rick stops him. Get the hell out of my way. You're not killing me like you did him. Rick pushes Chuck away from the bomb. Wait, one minute and ten seconds left on the timer. Chuck ran after the bomb once again, and Rick held him back, pushing him against the window, cracking it, making the Statue of Liberty barely visible, skewed by the broken glass. Get the hell off of me. No, you're not cutting the red wire. I'm not letting you kill me. Chuck pushes himself off the window, and the two crash through a fax machine onto the floor. Rick gets up quickly with Chuck, right behind him. You think no one knows. We all know you're responsible for his death. You killed him! I didn't kill him. You weren't there. You have no idea what the hell went down. No, I wasn't. But I can sure as hell bet it was something like this. And I'm not letting it happen again. 45 seconds. Fuck you. What the hell do you think you are? He was my friend. He was my partner. Rick is standing closer to the bomb. Chuck still has the cutters in his hands. More than a partner. He was my friend. I see his face every goddamn night. I have to live the rest of my life knowing that his death is because of me. I told him which wire to cut as I stood in the hallway. The blast should have killed us both, but it didn't. I survived. Chuck is in tears while he speaks. 27 seconds I'm left. not letting that mistake happen again. I'm not letting anyone die up here. Now let me get to that bomb. Rick stops to think for a moment. There's no time to think. Let me... There's no time to think. Let me to that bomb now or we're both dead. Rick can't decide whether to let Chuck cut the wire or cut a different one himself. The timer can be heard ticking down. Tick, tick, tick. 20 seconds. Well, now's your chance to redeem yourself. Rick stood back. Chuck ran to the bomb with the cutter still in hand. 16 seconds. Tick, tick, tick. Chuck, strambl Chuck scrambles with the wires in hand. He doesn't know which one to cut now. Cut it. I can't. What? Cut the damn wire, Chuck. <laughs> I can't. I see his face. I see Fred. Cut the fucking wire, Chuck. Cut right now. Cut the goddamn wire, you're dead. Chuck's sweat, beads dripped into his eyes. He wipes them away, trying to decide which wire to cut. Tick, tick, tick. Ten seconds. Chuck places the cutters on the red wire. He squeezes, squeezes very gently, not cutting the wire. Chuck then stops himself and thinks. Six seconds. Tick. 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 There's no time to think. Cut the damn wire. Chuck begins muttering to himself. Help me, Fred. Help me. Chuck moves from the red wire to the blue wire. Four seconds. Tick. 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 Do you believe in God? I'll tell you in a minute. Two seconds. One second. Fade out. Exterior. Street day. Hordes of people are waiting outside in the street. Caution tape surrounds the building. Police and firemen are everywhere. There is a rumble heard from up above. Everyone looks up as debris falls from the sky. The world went black. The end. 
All right. Um, first of all, we give much praise to Cosmo, our um, our our backwoods our, our backwoods John McClane over here. And thank you, Sadie Mae, for playing a man. Although you sounded really feminine while doing it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. And, um, okay, so what we usually do for the Real Table Random Read, uh, Miss Sadie Mae, we kind of critique it a little bit. You know, we give, we don't go full in depth, but we do give a little feedback on how good or how bad it is. Okay, so, for, so for a short script, first of all, I'll put out the first error. On the script, they wrote fade out before, um, they, fade out is the last thing you ever write. <laughs> you don't write the end. <laughs> Unless that's in like a title card, uh, you know, you don't. It's sorry. That's I guess she's just an amateur. There's a lot of spelling grammars too. Sorry, spelling errors. So, what would you guys think of the script? Mm, it was alright. It's pretty interesting. So apparently, uh, Chuck has done this before. <laughs> apparently. So, so, so Chuck, do you feel like you're uh, an expert at killing your friends? I guess. So I have nervous. regret for it, but <laughs> I mean, it. Uh, I it... got kind of lost because at first Chuck wanted to save Rick, but then he didn't. Is that what happened? <laughs> See, in the, I guess that's where the the flaws of the script come into play. Yeah, and then I guess he wanted to die because of Fred. But. But, but the thing is, we understand Fred that he loves Fred, but why? We, I mean, we don't understand. He was no... his friend. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm friends with my fire extinguisher, but. Well, I thought he felt responsible for his death. Yeah. No, that was definitely clear. I understand. I feel like if there was, you know, if there was like maybe a quick scene in there, like where like he cut back to, oh, like they're they're that good of friends or something, or I don't know. It's, I feel like the uh, the emotion in that wasn't really drawn out that well. It was just, oh, okay, he died. I'm sad. <laughs> All right, Matt Layden, uh, is there anything else you guys have to say about it? When, it's like the second to last page, when he talks about, like, Rick can't decide whether to let Chuck out. We can't be inside Rick's head. That's, like, a rule. Like, you can't know what the characters are saying without, like, it's the show don't tell type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can definitely say... Like you can't be in their head. Right, so maybe uh, a better... So maybe, can't yeah. Decide. Yeah, yeah. maybe a better alternative would be... Um, wait, who was it again? Like, how Rick, Rick. he acts like he scratches his hair or something. Or well, I don't think right, if right, he's right, about to cut a wire, he's going to be scratching his hair or that much. Or something. Like, you, you know. can't decide. Like, what do you do when you can't decide? Or maybe he, like... maybe. I mean, you could show that, too. Like, maybe he, like, goes to, like... Move forward with the pliers, and then that kind of like draws back, or maybe like yeah, or like that or close up of like sweat or something. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Or like hands trembling or something like he's, that. He's like, yeah, he's all like, he tenses up and like tight, like tightens like all his muscles or something. And there's a lot of description about muscles. <laughs> they were. I feel like this is I feel like this is an action film with not enough steroids. <laughs> yes. Two very burly men trying to cut some wires. <laughs> Yes, Who do you think would play in this, Bruce Willis? <laughs> Bruce I think I think Bruce Willis is better than this, actually. <laughs> I, I I think he is. I think. I feel like this is what MacGruber. <laughs> MacGruber. <laughs> I can see MacGruber in here. Yes. MacGruber. I can definitely see MacGruber in there. <laughs> and. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's about it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just two MacGrubers. 
We have to have like someone famous play Fred because it's just a name. Uh, I I think Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I'm seeing more like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Fred, and you see like glowing soft lights, you know, or, or it's like Matthew McConaughey or something. Matthew McConaughey's like in like an angel outfit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, we could, because like an angel scene of like the heavens praising on high. That. Exactly. That would be perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, Matt Layden. You can definitely do a little better. I'm sure you've had at least eight years to prepare to get this better, so I hope it's better. Anyway, so we like to thank... I mean, this was, what, seven years ago? Eight years ago. Eight years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Maybe he's improved by now. Or he's in jail. Um, <laughs> either way, uh, thank you, Sadie Mae, for dropping by the studio. Yeah, no problem. All right, Cosmo, thank you for your uh, accent. You betcha. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll wreck him. All right, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the... Wait, Ooh. sorry. Oh. You're jumping the gun on me. Gotcha. Thank you guys for joining the <laughs> podcast again. All right, Sadie, we're going to... Sadie May, we're going to have you join us on the outro on this. Okay. You ready for this? All right, guys. You've just listened to the Reels Table. Table.